Welcome to the Payments Podium Podcast, hosted by the payments professor himself, Kevin Olson. This podcast discusses the past, present, and the possibilities of the payments industry. Here's the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Payments Podium. Today on the Payments Podium, we've got a very special guest. It's Diana Gunn. Diana is from EFT Bop, and she's got a lot of history in the industry. I've got to say, I've known her for several years. She's one of those industry experts that I'm talking to all the time. In fact, I think, you know, Diana, one of the things we might have to discuss today, too, is how we got together last year just talking about the different you know, P2P, faster payment, instant payment type systems that are hitting financial institutions that they may not even be aware of. But we really wanted to have some discussion today on third parties, on third party reporting, on auditing with third parties, and what that looks like for financial institutions. So everybody, if you would, just help me welcome Diana. Thank you for being here on the Payments Podium. Hey, Kevin. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. Now, Diana, I know you are like me, have been around the industry for a little while. I, I know I'm probably much older than you, been around for a while, but can we get just a brief of how long you've been in the banking industry? Yeah, I started in banking um, right out of high school, actually, but I actually started doing ACH processing in 1992 here at a bank in Florida, in Tampa, Florida, and the first customer was a third-party processor they were referred to at that time um, not third-party senders but a third-party processor and it was my first client so it was a experience it was a learning experience you know I would always suggest banks to maybe take on some direct originators first and get their feet wet but though we dove right in and did third-party processor and learned a lot from that and then that was in 1992 and so I've been in ACH ever since then and I've always been on the ODFI side um, up until recently in 2015, at the end of 2015, I actually left the ODFI, left banking, and started a, a different um, company just doing, but still in the ACH processing, still concentrating and focusing on reporting services and what regulators are looking for. Okay, let, let me get this straight. Again, in 1992, you decided, my first job in banking, I'm going to go work with a third party. <laughs> no, my first job in ACH, but I'd <laughs> always been in the deposit operations side of banking, um, was the deposit operations manager at that time. We decided to take on and become an ODFI. So that was interesting in itself. It's like, okay, what do ODFI, ODFI needs are for the back room, the back room operations to do ACH processing and, and learning that. And so starting from the get-go, but yes, our first customer was a processor. Um, so it opened our eyes to a lot of stuff very quickly. And the needs of being an ODFI in that arena versus, you know, being an ODFI doing your own internal, you know, maybe loan payments, CD interest checks, things like that for internal purposes. And then your direct clients that are just, you know, your direct originators that might on a storefront or want to do their payroll through you or accounts payable, receivable through you. Um, the third-party processors, now known as third-party senders, is a totally different arena, and you really got to investigate and know what resources you have to have in place of the ODFI to be able to actually manage them 
appropriately that is what is required from you from the regulators now and then what is required to what you need to teach that third party sender is their requirement as an odfi bank i always want to ensure that their clients understand the rules and regulations also because they are a participant and they are a huge participant in our industry um, i'm a full believer in that our the network works best with having them and the um as a participant and in this um just coming from the experience of an odfi bank i would not want to deal with thousands of different direct originators so i'm i'm fully in support of the direct um of the third party senders being a participant but they have to understand that they have obligations that they need to be meeting for their odfis Okay, can I ask a couple more questions about, you know, this first experience? Because like you said, it, it really opened your eyes to some things right away. What was mm -hmm. it, you know, in that experience? And I'm sure because I know for me, everything that I've done, it would usually be, I learned because it would be a case of they did what? Are you, are you? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, all right, That's well, exactly. they, sure they don't do that again. So what were like some of those early, you know, hey, I can't believe they did this to where you suddenly are like, this is now a control or something that needs to be put in place to make sure it doesn't happen again. Right. And it is, it's, it's different experiences that you learn from that, it, you know, a situation happens and what did we have to do to, to fix this? How did we help our customer? And then how did we teach our customers then what to do going forward you know so that's how we we learn a lot in this business um unfortunately it's always that a mistake happens and that's what teaches us but we had um some situations of course with um duplicate file situations so then when you go through how do you how do you correct that how do you fix it what's the best practices that you use to um make sure that you don't open yourself up to more risk you know the very first time it ever happened, it's like your immediate reaction is to do that reversal file immediately, you know, but then, you know, over time you learn that, hey, wait, we need to work the next return window because some of those could be returned, you know, and it's things like that. There was an issue of they actually had one of their clients that was underneath them that committed some fraud transactions. So we had to work through that situation and it's teaching our customers too how to do better due diligence and underwriting on their clients to totally understand what their transactions represent, what the norm for that whatever industry they're in, the average ticket amount that they need to look for and things like that and making sure that what they're seeing go through their side of their software makes sense for the type of customer that it is. So that was additional training. But in every one of these two situations, it made us as the ODFI bank realize, hey, well, maybe we, if we produce this type of reporting, it helps safeguard the bank and then also help safeguard our, our third party senders. Um, we had situations where um, I have even had a situation where a processor then as the bank side, we started researching and trying to mitigate risk to make sure that our, our third-party senders were doing their hold times and pre-funding correctly. So that's that, to me, is a big point on the ODFI side is you want to ensure that the your clients understand 
that those are their funds, you know, their clients' funds sitting in that processing account and it needs to be paid out on a timely basis when that a red flag might go up that they might need to hold funds because return ratio is going up. And that's really the key too, that their party senders have to monitor their clients' return ratios and make sure that for all three different categories that NACHA has this monitoring, that they are actually doing reporting on those different ones and looking at it different ways. So we always looked at it from the the standpoint of dollar amount and item count, the different ratios that that can create just in case there's some like pre-fund transactions going out that might um, change the the rates on the count side. But then you have to look at the settlement entries too on the dollar side. So it's just really working with your clients make sure that they understand their responsibility and how they're supposed to monitor the returns and how they need to either, you know, contact their clients back if they see one client that's starting to get too high in any of those three categories. You know, I work very closely with our customers now to make sure that they can identify the one client that might be driving up their rates and then going back to them. It could be just additional training needs to be done with that client. You know, the detailed training on how to get proper authorizations and that the consumer really knows what their authorization is for and what it's representing. You know, but then it could be that it's just no. Yeah, Diana, I'm telling you, that, you that, that is a lot. I mean, I, like right away, you, you mentioned early that what you do to be able to look at just to set limits and, and setting those limits. And you, you mm-hmm. said looking at what's normal for the industry, getting those averages, and then what makes sense. A question that I, I hear a lot of times on that is, you know, I know those are common practices, but what do you tell somebody who's new in the industry or if they're going to be working, you know, a, a financial institution is going to be working with a company that's new in the industry where you don't have that benchmark, you don't have those averages, you just have what's happening for others in the industry. Do you tell them, hey, just look at that and go with that? Or do you tell them to put more monitoring in place at first? Well, if it's a brand new customer to ACH, now if the third party sender is a, is new to our industry, then I, there's a lot of training that has to go on in that perspective because um, we have some new um, processors that have been in the credit card industry and so they want to also offer ACH as a product, which I understand that they want to offer that to their merchants to and expand their businesses, but to me, you cannot apply the same credit card rules to the ACH rules, and you need to really go in and, I mean, if it's Dinah's Donut Shop that is putting through an average payroll, then they should understand basically what my average are for my employees and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, if I'm sending over these huge transactions, it should be questioned. Um, you know, they should question it as the third-party sender, so that. That they are part, they are participants. So they should understand their customers and and what the transactions are supposed to represent. On the debit origination side, it gets a little bit harder, you know, because they've got to understand, you know, if it's, if it's putting through like maybe it's a lease rental, then okay, you know, your average ticket of this client should be putting through because it's representing leases that they're doing either on a storefront or maybe it's apartment leases or, you know, or private owners leasing stuff out, you need to understand the average ticket of that. And if something goes through 
that is totally outside the norm, hopefully their systems that they are using as their processing systems would would put a flag on that transaction, at least have someone look at it, you know, and question it. And I do, when it's a brand new third-party sender for the ODFI side, or if it's a brand new customer for that third-party sender, it's like, okay, you need to make sure that you have enough, the appropriate hold times in place so that you can monitor those transactions um, fully and monitor the returns before you have to do your first payout. And then when you get a little history behind you, then you they can understand, okay, maybe, you know, the initial underwriting and review of a client you were holding, you know, four to five days watching returns before paying out and stuff like that. But then after that, you know, it's really crucial to look at that first 30 to 60 days where Reg E, if it's a debit transaction that is hitting, um, it's a PPD hitting consumers or web or tail, those really you need to make sure you've built in enough reserves um, for this new client. And then again, like I say, after you've processed past that, you know, those first initial 60-day windows and you can see that they're not having any unauthorized and stuff, then you can go back and do another underwriting um, and review of what your reserve requirements and hold times are. And that's just how I work with clients um, to try to make sure that they have safeguarded their self because they need to understand not only do they safeguard their self, they need to safeguard their ODFI relationship as well. So I'm really big on the fact of that you know, the ODFIs have the responsibility of making sure that their third-party senders are educated and know the rules and regulations and that they keep them up to date on any um, changes that they come aware of. Hopefully those third-party um, senders are, are participant and, and ACH association. We always wanted that for any of our clients that they, you know, participated in associations and went to annual trainings and got the annual updates for the rules changes. And it's really just keeping everybody informed. But it's, you know, I always stress to those clients that they have to understand their responsibility and obligations of being a participant in the network. Well, and you know what really caught me was you said you cannot apply what you do with credit cards to ACH because they are just night and day difference. But mm -hmm. when you are talking to these businesses, especially some that have been doing it for a while, but without a doubt the new ones, and you try to explain to them why credit cards and ACH are different, and how do you get that point across? Because I hear all the time, well, payment's just a payment. But that's not well, necessarily I, true. <laughs> I do, and it, it drives me crazy, Kim, because I hear that a lot also. And and it's not, you know, and and what kills me is I'll say, well, what type of SEC code are you even processing on this merchant? And they're like, they SEC give you the SIC code or something, or, or the MID code, and that's something they use on credit card. And I'm like, no. See, and they don't even understand at that point in time that they have to get certain types of authorization for certain types of SEC codes. And so that's where, I mean, my initial training starts with, with the clients, too, when they actually, once we get past the underwriting and stuff like that, is because they have to understand the different obligations that they have for that. You don't have those different types of obligations and POA requests in the credit card side, you know. On that side, um, not that that payment system's any easier, but at least there it's like, okay, it's either, you know, pen driven or signature driven, you know, and there's, but on ACH, there's so much more, you know, there's so many other options and they have to understand the differences in the options. 
and um, I'll have, you know, some clients that I, as we're doing um, our risk mitigation reports each month and we're doing reviews and I'm looking at stuff and I'm like, there's no way these transactions are going through under the right SEC code. And it amazes me when I go back to them and I'm like, okay, send me the proof of authorization for this transaction. They're like, okay, what is that? You know, mm-hmm. and it just, it scares me to death. So, um, so I, what we do here is for our client bases, we spot check. We'll go out and even if they haven't had any returns, just to make sure that they are still doing what they're supposed to be doing, we'll just randomly pick some transactions and ask for POAs on the different SEC code types, just so that we can see. And to me, as an, um, if you're working at an ODFI bank, you should really be doing that to your third-party senders. Randomly pick their clients, randomly pick transactions to ask for POAs so that you can ensure that their clients are doing what they're supposed to be because in all reality that third party senders should be doing those spot checks on their clients. So it's one way that we we uh, always, you know, it's kind of like testing your your direct client and their their customers. So it's kind of it yeah. all goes back to the POA, BSA. That proof of authorization you're talking about, that POA if they can provide it, it is in some ways, it's not a guarantee, but you can think of it, hey, this year, get out of jail card. Without it, you're going to be stuck in trouble. There, there's just no doubt about yeah. it. So well, and that. as whether you're, you know, because right now, um, you know, I was always on the ODFI side. Now I'm in the service provider side, you know, which is a different participant in the industry. But, I mean, it gives me still peace of mind. Because I can go back and I'm going to say, okay, we requested this. First of all, my customer, my third-party sender, knew what I was talking about, didn't have questions. So that's a good first sign. And then when their customer is able to provide it, it makes you feel like you get out of jail free card. But, I mean, it's more so the... It gives you a certain peace of mind that, hey, they knew what this was. They've been educated. They know to get it. They're keeping track of it. They're keeping it. Because I'll even pick older transactions to make sure that they're keeping it the length of time that they need to from settlement date. So we really try to think of any way that we can help anybody do the risk mitigation. Because then you have to throw in the whole BSA rules and regulations, too. And it is for the ODFI, your responsibility is know your customers and know your customer's customer, you know. So when the BSA, um, you know, rules and regulations came out years ago that really showed the importance of that, it was hard on the bank side because, of course, we all did underwriting on our clients and we knew who their customers was. But now it's, a, you know, the rules govern that you have to know more than just their name and see the transactions come through. So right. um, I work with a lot of clients on making sure that they are, doing that side of it that they're you know at least do it doesn't have to be full underwriting like you do with your your um direct client you know the one that's got the processing relationship with you and it's got the processing account with you but it is enough underwriting that you should be able to know this is a real company it's brick and mortar it's you know who the owners are you know things like that so that's one of the things that takes a lot of time. And unfortunately, the ODFI banks are the gatekeepers for for this industry. You know, there's a lot of rules and and responsibilities put on the ODFIs. And so they to me they need all the assistance they can have and the tools and the the knowledge to be able to run a successful ACH portfolio. Well, you know, too, I wanna be clear. 
you're not actually processing on behalf of people. What you do nowadays is more the monitoring for them and on their behalf and making sure their files right. are crossed through. Is that correct? Yeah, we offer um, technolo technology that we um, that can help banks do their ACH portfolios or a third-party sender can use the technology too. It, it runs both sides. But we what we do is we we are back EFT BOP, the BOP stands for back office up, um, processing. Mm -hmm. So we do processing on behalf of banks or we do processing on behalf of third party processors. Um, if it is an established bank that's already an ODFI, has been doing it for years and have their own internal staff that is already doing the processing, well, we do reporting services. So we get from them their files, like all origination files and all received files from the ACH operator and digest them for them to give them the reporting that they need in order to be able to do their, their risk analysis. Um, we do daily and monthly, um, month end board reports, 12 month rollings to see trends and things like that. So we, we, we become part of their staff, just helping them um, do all to fulfill the obligations and the risk monitoring that they need. And it doesn't matter which participant you are. Like I say, the ODFI side, a third party sender, um, we, we assist on both sides of it. So, um, and another reason is because some of the banks we process for currently, they would like to not have their processing staff late at night. Well, if you get into the ODFI side, really processing for third party senders, they need the later um, time frames to be able to get their files out on a daily basis. So we assist in that, like they can process internally um, all day long and, and bring their merchants and do their due diligence on their clients now and we just take over the processing side you know at their end of day if that's five o'clock then we take over and finish their day up until nine o'clock eastern standard time but a lot of it is that we work with helping them even so in the underwriting process if they need assistance but it's really just i get very involved with my banks that want to take on third-party senders just to make sure that everybody understands their obligations that they need to fulfill if they're going to participate. Well, and see what I was getting to, because you're doing so much for them, you're not the one ultimately held responsible because it's still their routing number, it's still their processing. You're just a city right. on it, but you're still saying, hey, you've got to build reserves. You're still saying you got a pre-fund. You're still going through and you're doing, this is a spot check, show me the POA. Yes. Because you're really there giving more security and they're in that compliance. And, and you say yeah. you actually do help with the underwriting and the building the reserves and pre-funding. I mean, what's that conversation look like? Because I know for a fact, I've been in so many of those that they're like, what do you mean I got to give you money first? I mean, I want to have access to those funds. So how do you go through that conversation, that process to help them understand the building of the reserves and the pre-funding that needs to be done? Well, you know, and the one thing, um, it depends on how experienced the ODFI is that I'm working with. If they're new to ACH processing, then it's all, it's first starting off the education there because the ODFI has to understand this and what all that means. Um, I have ran into situations where I'm dealing with um, the ODFI and I'm like, 
well, you know, we need to do holds on this type of origination. And then they're like, well, this is credits. And I'm like, no, this is a debit originator. That credit that you saw was a settlement after the hold times. So that's been, that's, believe it or not, one of the biggest hurdles I have found when dealing with some of the bank personnel is that they just look at it as, well, I have a customer that does debit and credits. And that goes back to no, look at the underwriting, know your client. This is a debit originator. So what this processor is doing, you know, debit that, you know, for three, four days doing debit originations and then on that fourth or fifth morning, however long the whole time is, that credit going out is is after this is like just settlement of those funds. And so it's it's educating on them. I spend a lot of time on showing them the difference of that, whether it's a credit origination or a debit origination, getting them to understand that, then getting them to understand then how they can they can watch their their clients' processing accounts. They should be able to see that okay, when they first started, this is how it is, and then each day what they originated out to, you know, and then what they did in settlements, they should be able to monitor that bank account to know that the processor themselves are following their own rules. And then you take it to their side, that side of it, if I'm working with a third-party processor, um, if experienced processors that's been in the industry for a while and been in um, – a processor, they understand, of course, the whole time zone debit originations. They understand the pre-funding. Um, sometimes they're like, no, I've known this person forever, went to high school with him, and so I think he's good and all like that. I just <laughs> always try to enforce that, no, you still want them to make sure, because you know what? You're the one signing this agreement with ODFI Bank, and you're going to be the one held responsible for it. And then the bank's going to look at you know, when they're the bank's doing the underwriting, they're evaluating your financial position also. Like, and when you, and that's one of the things that you have to teach banks too. When you're doing underwriting and looking at the type of clients that they are going to be bringing on or want to bring on initially, you know, then you have to evaluate their financial position. And it's like, okay, at what point? It's not the whole. And this is one of the things I deal with is it's not the whole portfolio. Because you're not going to have 100% fraud. You're not going to have 100% returns on these transactions. So when you're doing underwriting and you're looking at their financials, you have to say, okay, this company, what type of hit can they withstand? You know, like if they had something that goes bad on, in their processing side, how much can they get a hit on before it's going to affect the rest of their business, you know, or their whole business, put them out of business. So that's when you analyze, okay, what type of reserve as the bank then do you want that processor to keep to safeguard your bank side of it for any, you know, one merchant that they might take on that might have, you know, either fraud or high return rates in that you want to at all time make sure that the returns are covered for in your bank and then plus, what did they need to hold on to and not pay out to that merchant because of the same reason? So it all kind of rolls downhill. So to me, the most important thing is making sure that everybody in the hill <laughs> understands what, everything that it's relating to. Oh, wow. I mean, th this has really been just packed with so many nuggets of information. And as, as we get to the end here, one of the things I like to do at the end is just give you a chance to talk about 
you know, where's the future? What are the possibilities of what can happen with, um, in this case, you know, working with third parties, having them educated, and the reporting is there. But instead, I'd really like to ask you this question. You, you've got all these reports, and I, I've seen a lot of the things you do. There are so many different mm -hmm. reports that you produce that you get them for the board, you get them for management, you get them for the staff that's working there. You're monitoring what's going in, what's coming out, you're monitoring the return activity. I mean, you're really on top of everything. And I know a lot of times people are telling me, well, what's the one most important report? And I don't know that there's one most important report, but what is the one maybe area that people overlook the most? What is like, say, okay, you probably should be monitoring this more than you are because they just don't realize that, you, well, you could take a loss in that area or what's, you know, really the one thing that people take for granted the most in, in their data. I mean, it's all there, it's their data. And that's where you pull the reporting from what is it the most common thing you find that people are overlooking, they're not doing, if they were to do this, the future possibilities of what they could be doing would be vastly improved? You know, one of the things that I find out that, to me, the weakest point, I guess, is, is really what we're talking about here. The weakest point in anybody's operation, whether it be on the ODFI side or the the third party sender side is when they have all of this reporting and they have everything and all and they they timestamp it, they got it this done or it was completed on this date and they get it in there to their optical system and they do all this and then they don't work it. It does no good to get all this different reporting, all the breakdowns, because we break it down by SEC code type, you know, for them to look at it that way. We break it down by the NAICS code type so that they know the industry that they're dealing with and then they don't do anything with it but yet they can show their regulators that hey we have we do this reporting and so my what I stress out about Kevin and I stress to all of them is work the reports it doesn't matter that you have them if you don't use them so um, again trying to red flag stuff and then the my crucial point is that okay if you work them and then you go out to your clients and you're asking for information to get that so you can document stuff a lot of times I find that people then do that initial part but it's the follow-up and you've got to stay on a merchant that if you know make sure that they give you what you asked for in um, a good time frame too because some of them will say oh yeah I'll get it to you get it to you and then weeks go by you don't have it so then the follow-up falls off and then you never get it and then it comes back and it bites you in the butt three months later because it was something that someone pointed out someone questioned but nobody followed up on it you know and i see people that even when i was in the banking side and you know my staff would reach out and i'm like okay they said this so we documented you know what they said on the conversation that you had about it now but then it just ended there. And it's like, okay, you have to make sure that, okay, you spoke to someone about it. They said they're going to implement some changes because y'all identified maybe on why it's happening. You know, it's just an educational thing or whatever. But then no one then checked. Did it look better the next month, the second month out? Has things improved? So to me, it's that constant, not just, you know, addressing something once. I mean, I used to drive some of my customers crazy and they're like, we gave you that last month. And I'm like, but we didn't finish it, you know? And so it's really just trying to stay on top of it the best you can because, you know, you've got, as a third party sender, they've got to safeguard their own 
um, customer base or either they're going to lose customers or they're going to get bitten by one, unfortunately, if they don't stay on top of it, which then affects their ODFI relationship. It affects that ODFI that if they're allowing customers, whether they be a direct market or a merchant through a third-party sender, if they're not enforcing that this is not someone that's following by the rules, it's not someone that, you know, is listening to education, hasn't helped them, you know, or whatever, unfortunately, that's the type that you have to keep your portfolio clean, and it does a lot of times mean stop processing for someone, and that's where, you know, it's always the biggest thing is like, do not look at, you know, what balance you have on hold for that that particular merchant or what fee income you're getting because if they're not abiding by the rules, you need to cut them loose. And that, to me, is one of the hard things um, that people struggle with because then it might, especially if it's a friend of a friend of someone that worked at the bank and that's why they're there, you still have to do the same, you know, underwriting risk management and due diligence on that client as anybody else and, and unfortunately cut them loose if it's not working out. Wow, you you have this. There's so much that's been in this episode. I, I think we could probably talk for a few more hours just to break down some of the nuggets. Because I I and I want to thank you so much for being on here, uh, folks. You you got to hear about having the monitoring in place, about going through and making sure that you do spot check your people, get that proof of authorization, know that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And Diana mentioned several times, have that education piece. The education piece, it's at every level. I mean, again, on the famous professor, that's one of my biggest pet peeves is I want to make education fun and exciting for people, but it's not always fun and exciting because of what we're dealing with. But it definitely gets exciting and scary when you've had a loss. And know your reports. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that was another key thing you said is know your reports, know what's in the reports, and then the way you ended, follow up. Document what you're doing, but follow up and then follow up again to make sure that everything's been done. Diana, I I can't thank you enough for being on the payments podium. I think this is some great information. Great. Well, thank you for having me, Kevin. Now, anybody out there listening, if you do have any follow-ups that you'd like to make, you can always reach me. I'm the payments professor, Kevin at paymentsprofessor.com. Otherwise, class dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Payments Podium Podcast. Check back every Thursday for a conversation with the Payments Professor. This podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Olson and edited by Sam Sue Smith. See you on Thursday.